good evening or good afternoon. My name is Mike Diedrich, and I'm here with uh, Michael McPherson and our guests, Marjorie Cohn and uh, Gary, Jerry Condon. And uh, this is the Veterans for Peace Chapter 92 radio show broadcast on KODX 96.9 Seattle FM, also available at the VFP 92 website. Uh, let me read our statement of purpose to get started. Veterans for Peace. We have to, to increase public awareness of the costs of war, to maintain our government from intervening overtly and covertly in the internal affairs of other nations, to end the arms race and to reduce and eventually eliminate nuclear weapons, to seek justice for veterans and veterans of war, and to abolish war as an instrument of national policy. So this today, this uh, discussion will be about uh, Ukraine and nuclear weapons in particular. Uh, our guests, Jerry and Marjorie, we will be talking about that primarily. And um, we can begin. Would you have any sort of lead into it, uh, Michael? Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Well, yes, I'm going to say a few words. <laughs> so hello, everybody. Um, I'm glad you had a chance to listen to us today. Um, I've known both Jerry and Marjorie for some time now. Um, I'm excited to have them both on the show. Um, so I'm fortunate that uh, we have to have this discussion uh, with the a war uh, waging in Ukraine right now. Um, and we wouldn't we might be talking about nuclear weapons and uh, nuclear proliferation today, um, even if there wasn't a war. But with the war, you know, uh, sad events taking place right now. So I look forward to uh, hearing what Marjorie and uh, Jerry have to say. And as usual, we're going to go ahead and have Marjorie and Jerry uh, introduce themselves so that Mike and I aren't doing a whole bunch of talking at the beginning of this. So um, Marjorie, why don't we begin with you and, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a professor emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law, a former president of the National Lawyers Guild and a proud member of the National Advisory Board of Veterans for Peace. Thank you, Marjorie. Jerry? Um, yes, um, I'm a, a Vietnam era a veteran and war resistor. Um, I've been uh, involved with Veterans for Peace for quite a few years now. I was, uh, was and still actually am a member of Greater Seattle Veterans for Peace Chapter 92, even though I'm currently living in Northern California. And um, later on, I served on the board of directors of uh, Veterans for, National Veterans for Peace for eight years, three years as vice president and two as president. I've uh, been very involved the last few years with the uh, Golden Rule Anti-Nuclear Sailboat, which is a national project of Veterans for Peace. Maybe we'll say a little bit about that later. And um, more recently, I've uh, been working with the VFP um, Nuclear Abolition Working Group, and we have produced a pretty remarkable document, the Veterans for Peace Nuclear Posture Review. Great, great. Um, go ahead, Mike. Uh, Jerry, is that available on the on the website, the national website, VFP website, that nuclear? Yes, yes it is. It's right up there at the top in the banner, the, the rotating banner, you'll see it. Great. Uh, uh, you may uh, note that I sent an email to you and, uh, and Marjorie and also Michael too about the latest uh, 
uh, statement from the Northwest Coalition Against Nuclear Weapons in their statement on uh, nuclear weapons in, in, in Ukraine. Take a look at that when you get a chance. Thank you, will do. Yeah, so, um, so we're gonna to talk today about the danger of nuclear war and why it's important to de-escalate uh, in Ukraine, um, bring this war to an end uh, as soon as possible. And we're gonna talk about VFP's nuclear posture review, which uh, Jerry just mentioned. Um, but maybe we should start out uh, with Marjorie um, discussing some of the legality of sanctions under the UN Charter and, and whatever other thoughts you have specifically about the war. Yes, well, I want to start out by saying that Russia's invasion of Ukraine violates the United Nations Charter, um, which says that member states, member countries cannot use military force against other member countries except in self-defense after an armed attack. Um, what Russia is doing does not constitute self-defense under the UN Charter. It is an act of aggression, which is defined as the use of armed force by a state against the sovereignty, territorial integrity, or political independence of another state. Now, in addition, Russian leaders are committing war crimes under the Geneva Conventions. Um, and that is defined as willfully causing great suffering or serious injury, extensive destruction of property, making the civilian population and individual civilians the object of attack. Uh, Russia has attacked uh, a maternity hospital, residences, a mosque, uh, and this constitutes attacks on civilians which constitute war crimes. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights said, quote, civilians are being killed and maimed in what appear to be indiscriminate attacks with Russian forces using explosive weapons with wide area effects in or near populated areas. These include missiles, heavy artillery shells, and rockets, as well as airstrikes. Now, in addition, um, the sanctions that the US and NATO countries have imposed um, on Russia are illegal under the UN Charter. They are called unilateral coercive measures and only the Security Council has the authority to impose coercive economic measures. Um, and what the US and its Western partners have done is to expel some Russian banks from the SWIFT financial messaging system, essentially barring them from international transactions, blocking Russian exports and imports, particularly uh, imports of gas and oil, limiting Russia's access to high-tech imports. But contrary to what we're told in the corporate media, these sanctions are harming the Russian people who are already suffering economically. That said, the illegality of the war, the war crimes, I think that we need to put this conflict into a historical context. Um, it doesn't, didn't just appear out of nowhere as, uh, as illegal as Putin's actions are. Um, I think we need to understand 
the role that NATO has played and, uh, and leading to this conflict. So in 1990 to 1991, as the USSR was breaking up, the US government promised the Soviet Union it would not expand NATO eastward um, to former Soviet bloc countries and former Warsaw Pact countries in return for Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev's agreement not to oppose the reunification of Germany. Uh, by 1999, however, Hungary, Poland, the Czech Republic had all joined NATO, Romania, Bulgaria, Slovakia joined in 2004, followed by Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, notwithstanding American foreign policy guru George Kennan's admonition that expanding NATO would be the most fateful error of American policy in the Cold War era. In 1997, dozens of foreign policy veterans, including former Defense Secretary uh, Robert McNamara, sent a joint letter to, <clears throat> to Bill Clinton um, calling the current U.S.-led effort to expand NATO a policy error of historic proportions. Um, U.S. planners were warned again in 2008, um, and uh, in a WikiLeaks cable, uh, WikiLeaks leaked a cable from U.S. Ambassador to Moscow, William Burns, who said, not only does Russia perceive encirclement and efforts to undermine Russia's influence in the region, but it also fears unpredictable and uncontrolled consequences, which would seriously affect Russian security interests. And this is part of this cable, this secret cable that WikiLeaks leaked, <coughs> Russia is particularly worried that the strong divisions in Ukraine over NATO membership with much of the ethnic Russian community against membership could lead to a major split involving violence or at worst civil war. Russia would have to decide whether to intervene, a decision Russia does not wanna have to face. Now in 2014, um, there was a uh, U.S., well, the, there was a coup in Ukraine that was largely participated in by the U.S., uh, helped to overthrow Ukraine's elected president. Um, in 2013, the elected president, Viktor Yankovic, had resisted economic reforms sought by the International Monetary Fund to make Ukraine more enticing to investors. Those reforms included lowering wages, reducing the education and health sectors, which comprised most of Ukrainian employment, as well as cutting natural gas subsidies that facilitated affordable energy for Ukrainians. Well, after the coup, the new U.S.-backed government cut heating subsidies in half and in return secured a $27 billion commitment from the IMF, the Inter International Monetary Fund. Um, then U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs, Victoria Newland was instrumental in engineering the coup, which drew momentum from neo-Nazi groups within Ukraine. And that, is, if you if you want to research that, you can go to the website of FAIR, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting. Um, Newland is now serving as Undersecretary for Political Affairs in the Biden administration. So here we have Russia surrounded by um, military bases in NATO countries, nuclear armed bases. And on February the 21st, there was an article on the front page of the New York Times above the fold in the hard copy that said that the U.S. this year is opening a top secret military base 
100 miles from the Russian border in Poland, where nuclear missiles can launch from. So I think, again, this does not excuse Putin's aggression and war crimes committed in Ukraine, but it's a backstory that it's imp that's important to understand because this could have been avoided by NATO, which is led by the US, pledging that Ukraine would not become a member of NATO, pulling these nuclear weapons from around Russia's borders and assuring independence for Ukraine. All right, thank you, Marjorie. Um, that's um, a great introduction. Go ahead, Mike. Just a couple of questions. My understanding is that there's only five uh, uh, European countries that have actually American nuclear weapons, and there's about 100 American nukes in Europe, but they're not on the, they're not, as yet, it, as I understand it, on the border countries to the Soviet Union. And uh, that also the French have about 300 nuclear weapons, but there are nuclear weapons run by the United States and the, of course the French in uh, uh, Europe, but the nuclear weapons are not on the border, although they could easily be so. That's clear. Thank yeah. you for that. Is that right? That, let, me, let, me, yeah. let me jump in on that one, yeah. Mike. Uh, yeah. Well, we all have a lot to learn, um, and we are learning a lot. But uh, there are uh, anti-ballistic missile systems um, uh, that the U.S. has placed in Poland and Romania uh, near the borders of Russia, uh, which, uh, of course, in themselves, they're, you know, they're, they're described as defensive weapons, but actually... You know they're they're an important element of a no first strike. Uh, excuse me, a first strike strategy. Um, in other words, they're, they're they would shoot down uh, the missiles that would be responding to a first strike from the United States. So they really can be seen as an offensive weapon. But furthermore, uh, now they have uh, ABM launchers, which can uh, also be modified easily yeah. to. Uh, they call them dual use, uh, so that not only would they have these defensive, uh, so-called defensive ABM missiles, but they could also have offensive uh, missiles within five minutes of Moscow. Right. right. Well, so, given, given uh, those facts, thank you for those things. What do you think, I mean, sort of jump to the heart of the matter here, and that is what, is, what do you think that would satisfy the Russians uh, to end this in this conflict, especially as it relates to nuclear weapons and ABMs? Well, that's a very good question. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it, this is a very complex uh, scenario here, and it's very confusing and controversial, uh, even among peace and anti-war forces. Um, I mean, the, the background that Marjorie just gave could all could almost um, be used uh, to justify um, the the Soviet the Russian invasion. Although she was clear that it does not, and I agree, um, it's not self defense to uh, to roll your tanks into another country. Um, although uh, some people believe it's kind of a preemptive uh, self defense action. Well, that's that's not um, um, justifiable under international law for sure, um, but. Uh, I think that uh, uh, the danger now is that the war could become a wider war and a wider European war and even a nuclear war. And that's why it needs to be ended as soon as possible. So, you know, no matter if people want to put all the blame on Russia or all the blame on the U.S. and NATO 
or as Veterans for Peace does, kind of have a more balanced approach, um, the one that uh, Marjorie just uh, laid out uh, of condemning the Russian invasion, uh, but understanding that the U.S. and NATO had a lot to do with uh, um, creating this uh, horrible situation. Um, and uh, because of kind of a relentless uh, uh, moves to contain or possibly even uh, wage war and regime change against uh, Russia. So now we have a situation where uh, we have two nuclear powers facing one another. Um, the Biden administration has been uh, careful so far, at least not to establish a no-fly zone, which would put uh, um, Russia and the U.S. in direct combat with one another, which could easily lead to a nuclear war. Uh, however, they're pouring weapons into it and they're, and they're fanning the flames. They're putting unprecedented sanctions, uh, which are not an alternative to war at all. They're really an act of war and uh, very destructive against Russia and many other countries uh, are Im impacted as well. So I think that uh, what the peace movement really needs to do with Veterans for Peace and many other organizations is to come together and uh, make a very loud united call for ending uh, the hostilities, for ending the war, um, calling on. It looks like Jerry. Oh, he's back. Yes. Yeah. So you went out for a second, right where you were say, saying that the peace movement needs to call for. So start at what we need to call for. Okay. Thank you. Yes, I think that the. Uh, peace and anti-wars just need to come together, make a loud, united call to stop the war in Ukraine. And that means a uh, call on all sides to end the hostilities, for Russian troops to withdraw from Ukraine, uh, for the U.S. to stop pouring weapons into Ukraine uh, and backing off the sanctions as well. Uh, there's a a very, very real threat of nuclear. Some people say, uh, experts say, well, it's a relatively small chance that they would actually go to nuclear war, but any chance that it could go to nuclear war is totally unacceptable. I mean, that's a that could be a civilization ending event. So we all have uh, a, a vested interest in ending this war as soon as possible. And we also have to understand that this, the presence of nuclear weapons in Europe in the first place it is one of the underlying causes of yeah. the war to begin with. Um, and that it's time for the U.S. to withdraw its nuclear weapons from Europe. Uh, and in the meantime, to at least re-enter the ABM treaty that George W. Bush unilaterally pulled out of. And uh, the INF treaty, the uh, Internet Intermediate uh, Nuclear Forces Treaty that uh, President Trump unilaterally pulled out of. The U.S. has missed a lot of opportunities to uh, to seek uh, further arms control and confidence building measures between the U.S. and Russia. And, and they've shown really shown Russia every sign. Oh, no. Went out again. Yeah. I'm sorry you, about that. Where okay. did you lose me this time? Well, you were saying that the U.S. has okay. missed opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. The U.S. has missed uh, a lot of opportunities to uh, further arms control and, ar and arms reduction and confidence building measures with uh, Russia. 
um, George W. Bush, when he was president, unilaterally uh, withdrew the U.S. from the anti-ballistic missile treaty. Um, Donald Trump, as president, unilaterally pulled the U.S. out of the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty, the INF Treaty. Um, so these were things that were providing a certain amount of stability um, in the nuclear showdown between Russia and the U.S., and to unilaterally withdraw them is really sending a, a very aggressive message uh, to Russia. And I think it's important for the for the uh, and the Veterans for Peace Nuclear Posture Review calls for the U.S. to uh, re-enter into those uh, two um, two important treaties and to uh, take further steps uh, to initiate um, negotiations among all the nuclear powers. Uh, to reduce their nuclear arsenals and eventually eliminate all nuclear weapons. Right. And I just want listeners to know that you can go to Veterans for Peace website as veteransforpeace.org. And you can find a link to that nuclear posture review that outlines some of the things that Jerry was just talking about, where the U.S. has pulled out of treaties, et cetera. Um, and you can find uh, links to to um, references of that so that you know that this is true. Um, that there have been opportunities that um, we have squandered as a nation. Um, let me just ask Marjorie real quick. Do you have anything you want to add to what Jerry was just saying? Um, yes. Um, I think that we need to be clear-eyed that we are closer to nuclear war than at any other time in a half century. And after Putin invaded Ukraine, he put his nuclear forces on high alert. All submarines have gone out to sea. All land-based missiles are out of their sheds. And Putin attacked the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, started a fire in the adjacent building that created a danger of the spread of massive radioactive waste throughout Europe and Asia. Um, and uh, advances in nuclear weapons technologies are increasing the danger of an accidental nuclear war between the US and Russia. Mm. Improvements in ballistic missile accuracy in the US nuclear force modernization program, thanks to Barack Obama, have drastically increased the killing power of each um, US warhead. And in addition, and this is according to nuclear scientist Theodore Postel, who addressed uh, Veterans for Peace um, nuclear task force meeting recently, Russia has a shorter warning time compared to the US and therefore its leaders cannot control what is called the action reaction because they don't have sufficient information. Russia has a dead hand system that pre-delegates launch authority, guaranteeing a launch even if the leadership is not in position to order one. So um, what Jerry said is really important. Uh, fortunately, Biden has, has so far resisted imposing a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which would mean uh, a no-fly zone would mean shooting down Russian aircraft and maybe even taking out Russia Russia's nuclear launches uh, in Russia and could well lead to a nuclear war. So we really need to stop this. And uh, there has been some progress on a peace deal. Um, the proposal is that Ukraine pledge not to join NATO, not host foreign military bases or foreign based weapons. Russia would withdraw from Ukraine, uh, accept new military agreements between um, the UK and uh, Ukraine and the US and European countries to ensure that Kiev is protected against future invasions. But there are still some sticking points. Russia wants Ukraine to be neutral, um, and uh, Ukraine has rejected that. 
uh, Crimea, which voted to join Russia and was annexed by Russia in 2014 is a sticking point. Um, and Ukraine is making a very strong push for a no-fly zone. Zelensky uh, went on TV in a passionate address to Congress. Now, keep in mind that although Congress could pressure Biden to impose a no-fly zone under the Constitution, it is the executive, it is the president who directs U.S. foreign policy, not Congress, although Congress uh, does uh, encroach on that from time to time. Um, so we need to, as a peace movement, as Jerry said, push for a peaceful resolution and also for the U.S. to pull its nuclear weapons away from the uh, surrounding Russia. Keep in mind that we're talking about a U.S. military base in Poland 100 miles from the Russian border, which could launch nuclear weapons. In 1962, uh, the Soviet Union located nuclear missiles in Cuba 90 miles from the U.S. border, and we almost had a nuclear war. Um, so we really need to participate in any way we can to um, help settle this conflict and uh, peacefully and avoid more killing uh, and, uh, and a, a nuclear war, intended or unintended. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Marjorie. And, you know, even though Biden is, uh, re is resisting calls for a no-fly zone, after Zelensky's speech, he did announce that the U.S. is sending an additional $800 million of weapons, um, including uh, like 100 drones, lots of anti-tank uh, weapons and other. And um, there are negotiations going on now between Russia and Ukraine but the U.S. has not shown very much interest in those negotiations. It's almost as if they would rather keep the war going, and one has to wonder uh, about that. Yeah. My also, China oh, could play a very important role in helping with these negotiations. China uh, is Russia's main trading partner. China remained uh, abstained in the resolution in both the Security Council and in the General Assembly under Uniting for Peace um, to uh, to call on Russia to pull out. And uh, China could play a very, very significant role. But again, the U.S., as Jerry said, is not showing much interest in facilitating and helping with this peace settlement. Mike? Yeah, I think at this point, the Russians realize that they're not going to be able to occupy the country although they can do a, lot, a hell of a lot more damage. And their military forces, which are all inside Ukraine at the moment, are not, are not doing very well at all. And the Ukrainians have, are awash in anti-armor and anti-personnel weapons, in addition to having some anti-aircraft um, anti uh, capabilities. So it's, it's, not gonna, it's not gonna work for the Russians. And I hope that they would see this as an opportunity, but definitely I agree with Marjorie and, Jerry, that the United States should actually promise or say that uh, at least start, start talking about removing its nuclear weapons from Europe, certainly from those barter areas that have uh, uh, ABM missiles, which are ca ca uh, capable of, uh, of delivering a nuclear weapon. That base in, in Poland should be probably a starting point. And it's not going to cost the United States or the Europeans any security if that actually was put on hold. Right. So let me ask Marjorie a question. Um, one of the things you talked about is uh, uh, Russia calling for 
Ukraine um, to be neutral or neutrality. What does that mean exactly? It means that uh, Ukraine would not join NATO. And the reason that this is so important, NATO was started as a supposedly a defensive alliance against the Soviet mm -hmm. Union, um, but didn't really uh, play a role, a defensive role. It's played an, an aggressive role. If you look at US-led NATO illegally uh, bombing Belgrade, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, those are all wars of aggression, illegal under the UN Charter, L NATO uh, operations led by the US. And Article 5 of the North Atlantic Treaty, the founding document of NATO, says that if a NATO country is attacked, then all the other NATO countries will get involved militarily. So if Ukraine was a member of NATO and it's being attacked now by Russia, if it was a member of NATO, then we would have the US and all of these NATO countries in there fighting against Russia and probably in the middle of a nuclear war. That's why Russia is so adamant that, um, that, that Ukraine not join NATO. Right. So are they saying right now that we don't we won't join NATO, but they want to leave the door open to the possibility when you're saying that Ukraine refuses to say they'll, they'll remain neutral? Is that what that means? You know, Zelensky has actually given mixed messages on that. In one breath, he says we don't really intend to join NATO. And in another breath, uh, he's, he, he backtracks on that. But it's not just up to him. It's really up to the U.S. I mean, the U.S. leads NATO. Um, the supreme commander of NATO is always a U.S. general, and the U.S. calls the shots. And so if the U.S. led NATO, guaranteed, made a commitment that Ukraine would not be, enjoy, uh, not be invited to join NATO, that would go a long way to settling this conflict. Right. Right. But, e but even now, Marjorie, they, they, with, with Ukraine not being a NATO country, we have all this U.S. weapons there. We have U.S. advisors there. And uh, so I think that uh, um, there's some people who think, believe that, that Ukraine has become kind of a de facto NATO country, and that could happen. So I think that I suspect that Russia will want more than just the, the um, words that uh, that uh, Ukraine won't become part of NATO. I think it'll 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 want some you know further specific guarantees that it's not going to become basically a, a haven uh, for uh, uh, militarization uh, backed by the U.S. Right. This, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Marjorie. Yes, one of the things that Russia wants is that Ukraine not host foreign military bases or foreign-based weapons. And mm -hmm. uh, also the eastern, the Donbass region in Ukraine, which is primarily Russian, um, Russia wants to, them to, to remain independent. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, there's been fighting going on in the Donbass for years and civilians have been killed and there have been neo-Nazi forces there. Um, which have been integrated into the Ukrainian military. And once again, uh, if people don't, uh, don't understand that, you should go to Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, uh, fair.org, uh, it, because it's been extensively documented. Um, so uh, there are a number of sticking points, uh, and there is not a peace agreement thus far, but if the U.S. made uh, real efforts to facilitate a peace agreement and perhaps China as well get involved uh, to broker a peace settlement, I think uh, that might really 
uh, go a long way to settling this conflict peace, peacefully mm -hmm. or more peacefully, I should say. Well, I saw a headline that says on uh, Chomsky, peace talks in Ukraine will get nowhere if U.S. keeps refusing to join. And so I'm wondering if part of the call for the peace movement needs to be, because it seems like the war, while it's being fought in Ukraine and Ukraine are the major forces fighting Russia, that perhaps Russia sees NATO. And, and Marjorie, thank you for talking about um, NATO being used as the instrument for much of US foreign policy when it comes to Iraq and Afghanistan and Libya, et cetera. Just once again, just pointing out a little bit that before the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, you could argue uh, that NATO was a defensive um, body. Um, both sides, from my understanding, uh, were scared of, the, of each other. Um, you know, Russia afraid that they were gonna be invaded again, having been invaded uh, two times in the last century and uh, at least one time by um, Napoleon in the previous century. Um, so they were gonna be invaded again, um, afraid of the West and in the West afraid of NATO, not NATO, excuse me, Russia, because you know, over the centuries, there's been a back and forth in Europe, um, Ru Russia as Russia, not Soviet Union and other nations. So yeah, maybe you could argue before the fall of the Soviet Union, NATO was a um, defensive organization, but certainly after the Soviet Union fell NATO stayed together, and has been used, as you said, Marjorie, Marjorie um, for offense. Um, so maybe, you know, I guess I'm asking, should the United States be part of these negotiations because Russia sees the U.S. as the major antagonist? Does that make sense? Well, yeah. Go ahead, Jerry. No, no, please go ahead, Marjorie. No, I, I was going to say that since the U.S. is the driving force behind NATO, um, without the U.S. buying into these negotiations, as Noam Chomsky said, um, they're really not going to to go anywhere. So yeah. uh, he's right. The U.S. has to get involved. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, um, the U.S. has to uh, has to employ diplomacy instead of sending more and more weapons and piling on more more sanctions. Um, they have to. Uh, also, kind of signal to both Russia and Ukraine uh, what would be what kind of agreement would be acceptable to the U.S. What kind of compromises are is the U.S. willing to make? Because obviously, compromises are going to have to be made if there's going to be uh, a peaceful resolution to this so terrible war. Mike, you look like you want you were going to make a comment. Yeah, I'm just going to say that the for the U.S. to to actually say that it'd be willing to. Uh, remove those uh, bases that are right up against the uh, Russian uh, Russian border is not much of a compromise. I mean, beyond that, of course, the removal of, of nuclear weapons from Europe in the other four or five NATO countries not bordering would be a, a further step. But I think a first step would be to say that the United States is willing to, to uh, um, get rid of nuclear capability that includes ABMs in those border areas. And that's not much of a compromise to the United States to give up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that would be good. I haven't seen that um, being discussed as something on the table. Um, and that would be, a, but it would certainly be a positive step. Um, you know, Veterans for Peace is, is committed in our mission statement, our statement of purpose to uh, abolish 
nuclear weapons and to abolish war. And I think, and in particular, to restrain our own government from intervening overtly and covertly in the affairs of other nations. So I think that's kind of the frame for how we look at this. And I think it's really helpful to take a quick look at um, the, comparing the, the military posture worldwide of the US and Russia. The US has at least 8,500 foreign military bases in something like 80 or more countries. Some people say it's over a thousand and it's in over a hundred countries. Anyway, it's massive. Um, Russia has six foreign military bases. And by the way, China has one. Um, so, so like who is, uh, who is striving for world domination here? Who's the real threat to peace? Um, I should also add that Russia uh, currently no longer the powerful Soviet Union um, it still has nuclear weapons, of course, which is, uh, uh, gives it a, a certain amount of uh, leverage. But um, Russia has, it, Russia's economy is equal to the economy of Texas. Um, Russia's conventional forces are not a match for the NATO forces. Um, so uh, Russia, so why, why is the US and NATO insisting on pressing up against Russia's borders? Do they see it as a threat or do they see it as something that they want to gobble up to, uh, uh, and by the way, you know, Russia is no longer a socialist country or claiming to be one. So this is really a battle of, of capitalist countries like the previous two world wars in the last century. Um, so what's, what's this really all about? I, I think that there's a lot more to be learned about exactly why um, the U.S., apparently wants regime change in Russia and uh, they want to re restore somebody like Boris Yeltsin, who is uh, a little bit more subservient to Western needs. And I'm sure that some of the billionaires behind all this are have their eye on uh, on Russian resources as well. Yeah, well, let me just say real quick. Um, at myself, you know, I think it's a mixture of things because everything you said is definitely the case. Um, but I also think that the hundreds of years of history in Europe, where there has been this tension between, um, if you want to call it the East and West, you want to call it Russia, and, you know, the other major powers, um, plays a backdrop role. And one of the reasons I say that is because here in the United States, how long ago was the Civil War? and it's still influencing our politics. It still influences how people think, you know, fears that people have. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and it doesn't, I, I, I wanna say it doesn't matter in many ways what the truth is. You know, in many ways it doesn't matter what the real power is. Um, people still have fears um, that they mm -hmm. carry with them, you know? So I think, I think it's that, and then it's people capitalizing off of those fears, which we have mm -hmm. going on right here in the United States, you know. Um, and then thirdly, and, and not that these are the only three, um, but just war in general is uh, men, toxic, toxic masculinity and men just posturing and not, not, not trying to even look for ways to solve real problems other than the fight because that's the manly mm -hmm. thing to do. I think that plays mm -hmm. a, a big role in this as well. 
I'd have to agree with that, uh, Michael. Uh, you know, in addition to that, the whole the whole issue is that that, that uh, countries fight wars because they can, and they can, they fight wars because they're armed. They're armed to the teeth, and the Europeans and the Americans and the, and the Russians are armed to the teeth. If there was, it was a scenario where there was less arms involved in this, there would be uh, obviously a. Uh, an option to use diplomacy rather than violence. And it is, it's, it's a historic tradition to use violence to solve international problems. And uh, it, you made a good point there about the, the uh, you know, the memory of, of war. I mean, the Soviet Union lost 20 million people in World War II. Mm -hmm. It was, it was uh, basically the Western half of the country was, was ruined. So that's recent history to them. And it's, you know, They've got some reasons to be paranoid. It's not just being a Putin is not crazy. He is aggressive and violent and he doesn't care what he what he does really. But he's not crazy. People say that what's his mental state, but he's, you know, it's all a fairly good calculated sort of a, a, a miscalculation on his part. Yeah. But he's not he's you know, he's rolled the dice on here. It's probably going to not going to end so well for, for him. But the first thing we need to do is disarm denuclearize Europe. And I think that there's a history of this cooperation between the Soviet Union when, when Ukraine and the other countries uh, after the Berlin, Berlin Wall fell, these countries, uh, uh, this United States helped these countries get rid of and de de defuse these nuclear weapons. Many of them went back to uh, the Soviet Union and in particular Russia. Ukraine's weapons went to the Soviet Union. But we have got a Russia, history, Russia. history Russia. of cooperation. Doing yeah. It. yeah, right, right. Well, um, we're getting close to uh, having to wrap it up. And um, I, oh, I think Marjorie dropped off. Um, so she's done. Uh, Jerry, do you have any uh, thoughts that you want to um, share as we wrap this up? Well, I, 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 I thank you for this um, opportunity uh, to, for Marjorie and I Marjorie Cohn and I to speak with you and on the Veterans for Peace, uh, Greater Seattle Veterans for Peace radio show. And uh, um, I think that uh, it's been a very good discussion, uh, revealing a, a lot of different things that we all need to learn more about. We could do a, a, a study group on this for a year or two. Right. Um, but I think of the immediate, what I would say, it, it's there is a great urgency to end this war uh, before it gets uh, even uh, more horrible than it already is. And uh, so that should be uh, the urgent task for all peace-loving people, uh, including Veterans for Peace, of course. And um, I'm hoping that there will be uh, uh, more activism, more actions to press our government uh, to uh, stop sending, you know, certainly... Uh, follow Veterans for Peace call for No Fly Zone, which is out today, and contact your your congressman. It'd be a really good t time to be writing letters to the editor because there's so much confusion out there. Um, also, it's important that we understand there are a variety of perspectives, and you know, people are a lot of people are watching CNN and Fox News, and they're getting 24 hours a day of of uh, real horrible news, uh, seeing a war firsthand, seeing the victims of war, seeing the refugees, like we don't see when it's the US invading. Um, but so people are understandably very, very upset. And uh, 
and they have a lot of there are a lot of different perspectives out there about what the hell is actually going on. I think we one one thing we have to do if we're going to be looking for peace here is to take it easy on one another <laughs> and right. not to not to get all angry and polarized because somebody else sees the war differently than we do. And, and but try to uh, get agreement among everybody that we should do everything we can to bring an end to this war. And since we are in, here in the U.S. and the U.S. has a big, big role in this, it's had a big role in creating this mess and it could have a big role in bringing a peaceful end. So I think it's really important that we uh, push our government to engage in, in bold diplomacy um, and to de-escalate instead of taking actions which will escalate the war, further escalate the war. And then assuming that we dodge this bullet and we don't have a nuclear war and that there, there is some kind of reasonable resolution to the crisis in Ukraine, I think it's a, this is a wake-up call for the world. We came this close to nuclear war again. And... Uh, what are we going to do about it? I think that uh, all the uh, all the peoples of the world need to come together right now and have some serious international discussions about how we're going to put an end to not only nuclear weapons, but also put an end to war once and for all. Right, right. And um, could you just reiterate um, briefly the things that you think um, or that Veterans for Peace is calling for or the things that you feel that the the right. anti-war movement, peace movement need to call for. Right. Um, negotiations, uh, ceasefire, I would say, would be a, a, a good demand. Stop the hostilities and begin diplomacy immediately. Well, there already are some negotiations going on. As Marjorie Cohn said, the U.S. needs to engage in those uh, negotiations and act like it really wants to see a peaceful resolution here. Specifically, I would say continue to press for uh, to warn against uh, implementing a no-fly zone. Um, secondly, uh, stop pouring weapons, more and more weapons into Ukraine. Thirdly, uh, stop stop the sanctions. The, uh, the sanctions are not an alternative to war. They're not a, a deterrent to war. They're actually a form of warfare, and they actually really do kill people. And they're hurting a lot of people in Russia right now, and they'll be hurting hurting. Uh, other other countries are going to be getting the uh, the boomerang effect from this whole thing, including even here in the U.S. So this economic warfare is is also getting out of control. So I'd say basically uh, no weapons, no sanctions, no 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 fly zone, and negotiate for peace. Right, right. Thank you. Now, of course, uh, that, my, and oh. of course that also means Russia troops out, and it also means a clear a clear pledge. Uh, uh, not to uh, uh, bring Ukraine into NATO or further militarize Ukraine. Right. And we reiterate, reiterate that part again about um, that Jerry just said to everyone, uh, Russia out of Ukraine. Uh, that is very important. Mike, do you have something? Uh, no, I, I mean, the most important at the mo thing at the moment is to get a ceasefire and proceed from there. I'd also like to mention that the Going beyond immediate ceasefire negotiation, we uh, we want the United States and the other nuclear power powers to, which is actually a matter of international law, is that the uh, the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons, and it is actually it is entered into force and became international law on twenty second of January twenty twenty one. 
it needs to be ratified by the nuclear powers because they're the sort of big dogs in the uh, in the um, ratification of the treaty and making it implement. So the United States can actually provide a lead in that and ratify the treaty. Yeah, I say we're wrapping up, but I, I think that gives Jerry an opportunity if you want to speak briefly to that, because I was looking at the uh, the um, posture review for Veterans for Peace, and at the beginning it speaks to that a little quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, um, so yeah. go ahead. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Mike. Yeah, well, uh, the Veterans for Peace Nuclear Posture Review does make a very strong call and repeated call. For, for the U.S. to uh, sign uh, and ratify the uh, uh, U.N. Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, uh, which came into force a little over a year ago uh, and passed several years ago in the United Nations, uh, 122 to 1. Um, and um, But, of course, the U.S., and as well as the other nuclear powers, actually, um, basically boycotted that session and are not part party to this treaties, which is, of course, make, is a very, very severe limitation. Uh, but it expresses the will of the world pe world's people that, uh, uh, you know, nuclear weapons, as one uh, of the key people said, nuclear weapons were already immoral, and now they're actually illegal. Of course, that illegality really technically only applies to those who have signed it. Uh, but their nuclear weapons are being shunned. There is a strong nuclear, uh, strong international opposition to them, and that should be uh, uh, respected and, and built upon. The uh, Veterans for Peace Nuclear Posture Review also calls for for shorter range measures, um, short of uh, absolute abolition of nuclear weapons, which we're strongly in favor of, such as. Uh, implementing a policy of no first use of nuclear weapons, um, such as taking our mis nuclear missiles off of hair trigger alert. Uh, what could go wrong? Um, and uh, um, a number of other, you know, very, very practical steps. There's about 20 different uh, practical uh, measures that are in this. We also, in the Nuclear Posture Review, we, we take a look at the U.S. posture towards each of the other um, eight uh, nuclear armed nations, uh, as well as to Iran, which does not have nuclear weapons, but there's a lot of concern about that they might be trying to get some. So we have this whole controversy over the Iran nuclear deal, which Trump unilaterally left. And now Biden is renegotiating. So um, anyway, there's a lot in there. It, it's It's been very well received. Of course, it's, it's anticipating President Biden's own nuclear posture review. Each incoming administration since Bill Clinton has um, uh, produced a document that basically says this is our this is where we stand as far as our use of, of nuclear force. Um, and we're expecting that, that Biden's is not going to be too much different than Trump's. And who knows how this current conflict will will impact that, maybe not in a good way, but this is certainly a teachable moment and a moment where we need to um, step up our uh, our calls and our activism uh, for uh, totally abolishing nuclear weapons. And for people who wanna take a look at that nuclear, the Veterans for Peace Nuclear Posture Review, once again, that's on uh, the VFP website, veteransforpeace.org. Okay, so uh, thank you, um, 
Jerry for coming on to the show. Really appreciate it. And unfortunately, uh, Marjorie had to get off and she had another interview or some other activities that she needed to do. Um, Mike, do you have any closing thoughts? And no, I just want to thank you, Jerry, and say hello to your better half, will you? I and, sure will. He's, and he's also home. Marjorie. She's um, home. A wonderful show. Good show. Very good show. A lot of good information on it. And it yeah. should be a, a real asset to the discussion. I agree. Thanks, well, I'm glad we had Marjorie. Marjorie was fantastic. Yes, she was. Yeah, she definitely. Got her, she had her facts all lined up <laughs> and articulated really, really well. She made a big difference. And, and just before we go, I just want to say to our listeners um, that it's important, as, as um, Jerry and we've been saying, that we need to uh, end this conflict as soon as possible. Um, but I also want to point out that there is a long history and even a foretelling of, of the conflict between the U.S. and uh, Russia uh, in 1835. And people, please look this up. Alexis de Tocqueville said that there are at present at the present time, two great nations in the world, which started from different points, but seem to tend towards the same end. I allude to the Russians and the Americans. Both of them have grown up unnoticed. Whilst the attention of mankind was directed elsewhere, they have suddenly placed themselves in the front rank among nations and the world learned their existence and their greatness at almost the same time. Then he goes on to say, their starting point is different and their courses are not the same yet, each of them seems marked out by the will of heaven to sway the destinies of half the globe. So mm -hmm. if that's not saying that there's going to be a conflict between the United States and Russia, I don't know what is. Right. That was written in 1835. Um, right. And so for me, uh, that says a lot about how, I guess, international politics was done, not just today, but over 100 years ago. So if we right. want to uh, change the trajectory of the world in war, then we really, all of us, um, all of our governments need to change. And that's, I just wanted to make that point to people. Couldn't agree with you more. Just think if there was peace and cooperation between Russia and the U.S., what a difference that would make. Oh my goodness, it sure would, it sure would. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much um, and take care. Thank you guys. Thanks, Jerry. Great talking you, to you. Yeah. Take care, brother. Yeah. All right, bye-bye. That's it for this show. Thank you to our guest, former Veterans for Peace National President and Vietnam-era veteran Jerry Condon and VFP Advisory Board member Professor Marjorie Cohn. The war in Ukraine is one of the most serious events of our time. Don't sit on the sidelines. Like James Brown said, get involved, get involved, get involved. We need to stop this war, and really all war, for selfish reasons, to save ourselves. Tune in next time, every fourth Wednesday of the month at 6 p.m. Pacific Time on KODX 96.9, or listen to the stream at kodxseattle.org. The theme music you hear is Victory from The Passion Hi-Fi. You can hear his music at thepassionhifi.com. Again, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, power to the peaceful.